Hebrews chapter 5. We're talking this morning about the new covenant priests. And the Bible says, And every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. I want you to understand in this verse of Scripture, look at me if you will, just something very clear, and that is what a priest is, all right? A priest serves as some type of mediator between men and between God. Now, we understand that there is only one high priest. There is only one true mediator between men and God, and that is the man, Jesus Christ. And so nobody replaces him. There's no pope that you need to go to. There's no pastor. I've just got to get to the pastor so my sins can be forgiven. Jesus is the only one that we can get to the Father through. All right? But the Bible says that we have been made kings and priests unto God. And so we want to understand a little bit of what our role is as a new covenant priest. Because as you recall, in the Old Testament, there was only one high priest. And that was from the tribe of Levi. And you're probably familiar with Aaron, who was the first high priest. He had the privilege of accessing the very presence of God one day out of the year. But there were multitudes of other priests who were helping him. And they were servicing men and also servicing God. And that's what a priest does. A priest serves men on behalf of God, and a priest serves God on behalf of men. So I just want you to understand that. Now, none of us are in the role of Jesus Christ, but we are there to serve and help in what he is doing. And so we see this in verse 1 again. Every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men, in things pertaining to God. So we're serving men on behalf of God. <clears throat> and who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way. For that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. That's the Old Testament priesthood. They had compassion because they were also broken and infirm people. And by reason hereof he ought, as for the people, so also for himself... To offer for sins. And no man takes this honor unto himself. But he that is called of God. As was Aaron. So you can't just make yourself this. God has to appoint you to it. Aaron was appointed to this. But so also Christ glorified not himself. To be made a high priest. But he said to him. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered and being made perfect. He became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him, called of God a high priest 
after the order of Melchizedek. And so we're talking about the new covenant priesthood. And the new covenant priesthood, as you can well see, has ushered in a new priesthood. And that is not after the order of the Levites, which is what Aaron was. And Aaron was a a priest by the, the commandment of God. He was the high priest in Israel. And all of the tribe of Levi served in the capacity of priest. So Jesus is not from the tribe of Levi. Therefore, how can he be a priest? Jesus is from the tribe of Judah. And so how can Jesus serve as Messiah and priest for the people of God and for their sins? Because God has made a declaration in the Old Testament, and it is affirmed here in the book of Hebrews, that God has declared that Jesus is the high priest, not after the order of the Levites, but after the order of Melchizedek. And this priesthood of Jesus is an everlasting priesthood. It'll never stop. It goes on and on forever. And so the covenant that we have through Jesus Christ and God the Father is an everlasting covenant because both of these will live forever and ever. And Jesus is able to give life to us because he now serves as our high priest. God the Father has commanded and ordained God the Son to be your representative in heaven. Hebrews goes on to say, That this is the anchor of our hope, that Jesus has indeed ascended up into heaven. And so that anchors us because we have a human representing us, and that is Jesus Christ, who is also fully God. But he is in heaven as a human, as a man, and he is the mediator. And so he represents the human race And we are redeemed through him and we are in him. And he has redeemed us from our sins. Now, Jesus has made us priests as well. And so we are not after a Levitical priesthood or a Levitical order. We don't have to know the Jewish traditions. We don't have to know the Judaism and the ceremonies and all of the intricacies that Moses gave the Jewish people and tried to abide by those things. We're of a new order, and this is the order of the new covenant. It's the order that comes to us through Jesus Christ. And so now we serve through Jesus Christ and try to benefit men on behalf of God. And we also have the opportunity to go before God and represent men. We might call this intercessory prayer where we can go and we can pray and we can believe God to to reach out and to help and to extend kindness or mercy or goodness upon men, not just saved men, but any man, our loved ones that are lost. We can serve as a priest and go before God and and believe for mercy for their life, even as Job did when he was not even under this type of priesthood. But we've been given authority to come into the Lord this way. So the new covenant priest, we assist the desire of the kingdom of God by being an active vessel of affecting things in heaven and earth. You have that ability You are of a dual nature, if you will. You're spiritual and you're also carnal. You live among men, but you also live among God. 
And you are to be intimate with both. And so you have this authority, this anointing, and this privilege where God intends for you in the new covenant, being made a priest, God intends for you to actively affect heaven and earth on his behalf. What an honor that is. What an honor. I think how tragic it's going to be for a lot of Christians when they go before God in heaven at the judgment seat of Christ and had very little effect for God's kingdom on heaven or on earth for that matter. But I'm trying to teach you so that you will be prepared for that day when you meet Jesus. And I want to teach you well. In Matthew chapter 18, I want you to just see something that Jesus says to the church. And this kind of identifies our priesthood and also our role as kings in the kingdom of God. In Matthew 18, verse 15, Jesus makes this statement. He says, moreover, if your brother shall trespass against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. I pray we would all do that. It doesn't say go and tell his fault to your prayer group or to other people and also to him. No, just keep everybody else out and just tell him. Because what if you win him? And now nobody has to know it. You wouldn't want somebody to go tell your business to other people. And so you do this to him alone. And it says, if he hears you, you've gained your brother. But if he will not hear you, then take with you one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto you as a heathen man and a publican. It's almost like the church is the supreme court on earth. All right. It's almost like that. Now, because it says this, there's a way for dealing with sin among brothers. And the way that you do that is that if you see your brother in sin, go to them alone and talk to them about it. And if they're not hearing you. And they're not listening to you. Then you take with you two or three more as witnesses. And you go and discuss this with them again. And if they will not hear them, then you take it to the church. And after you take it to the church, where do you take it? It doesn't say. It's like the church is the end of it. Because the church is the body of Christ. It's not separate from him. But it is the way that Jesus is going to rule matters on the earth. And so if a person is disorderly, if they're in sin and they're not being corrected by something, then it, and, and they're not listening, it will eventually come to the church and the church will make a decision or a ruling upon that behavior. And if that behavior is deemed worthy, that the person should be considered as a heathen or a publican, then the church has to exercise that authority. This is extremely rare in a very passive culture today. In a culture that is very scared of offending one another. We want to be so accepting. We want to be so kind. We want everybody to just, you know, have their own feelings affirmed. This is very uh, rare to see. But it is something that we practice here. And that we're very diligent to do in an orderly and godly way. Always 
redemption is at the heart of it. Forgiveness and redemption. But I just want you to see there's authority in the church of Jesus Christ. It, it, and it doesn't just say you go tell the pastor like the pastor is the dictator. You tell the church. You tell the people of God, the leadership of the church, the board of the church, those that, that administrate the things of the church. You could bring that before them. And then he says this in verse 18, Verily I say to you, whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven." For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And so Jesus is is assuring us, and I don't want you to take this out of context, because church discipline and church authority through binding and loosing is all in this context that if two or more of you are gathered in my name, I am there. I'm with you. I am the authority of your decision. You're doing things according to my will, according to my word, and according to my nature. You're not acting in disagreement with who I am or with what I am. You're not showing a respect of persons. You're not being mean. You're not being harsh. You're not withholding grace because that's not what I am. And so you're acting in me. And that's what it means to be in my name. I'm there in the midst of you. And so... This teaches us about corporate action. And it, it, it is something that I think, you know, has to be dealt with in Western Christianity because we're such independent people. And we have totally, I believe for the most part in America, we've totally lost the concept of church. What church is, what church is about, why does it exist, what is the point of it, what is the purpose of it, why can't I pray at home, why do I have to go to church, why can't I just watch it on TV, why do I have to be a part of a group of believers, can I just go hear a Bible study, go home, be done for the week, That this is the mentality that has filled Western Christianity and we wonder what's wrong with our politics we wonder what's wrong with capitalism why is Marxism taking over why do we have foolish people leading our country and we wonder we say it's them it's them it's them but it's because the church is failing to be the church we don't understand the concept of it and so Jesus has made us kings and priests and when we act in our role as priests, affecting things in heaven and earth, we can see a change. But if the church of Jesus Christ continues to operate the way that it has for decades, we're losing our nation and we will lose it. The hope is not politics, and the hope is not D.C., and the hope is not a Christian president, and the hope is not a Christian government. The hope is the church of Jesus Christ affecting the throne of God and affecting the thrones of men. And only the church can do that. And so if we don't change anything, we'll live the rest of our life griping and complaining about how bad our country is. And so we can change that and we could receive just the revelation of this message 
and let the Holy Spirit change our Christianity, change our life for the better. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. But it takes a corporate meeting for that to happen. It's not a believer in their private prayer closet binding and loosing. It takes a corporate gathering to be able to do that for Jesus to be in the midst of us. And we're going to talk about that for just a moment. In John 16, I want you to read this with me very quickly. Jesus says in verse 23, he says, And in that day you shall ask me nothing. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you hitherto. Have you asked nothing in my name? Ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. These things have I spoken unto you in Proverbs, but the time comes when I shall no more speak unto you in Proverbs, but I shall show you plainly of the Father. At that day you shall ask in my name, I say not to you that I will pray the Father for you, for the Father himself loves you because you've loved me and have believed that I came out from God. And so... Here's the opportunity and the commission for us to pray directly to the Father. Now, I want you to just hold on to that. But Jesus is telling us, I'm giving you my name to go into the presence of my Father and to talk to him. And the reason I want you to go to my Father is because he loves you. He loves you. You're not going into the presence of uh, some God you might have conjured up in your mind that is that is far beyond you and just, you know, w- waiting for the slightest mishap and he's going to just destroy you. You're going into the presence of my father who loves you. And I'm giving you my name that you might go before the father. I don't have time to read these scriptures, but Philippians 4 says that we're not to worry about anything. But in everything, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, we're to let our request be made known to God. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 says that the will of the Holy Spirit, this is the will of the Holy Spirit, that men first and foremost would pray, lifting holy hands unto the Lord, and that we would pray for those that are in authority over us. For rulers, for kings, for princes, that the Holy Spirit says, first and foremost, I want men to pray, lifting up their hands for their rulers in authority. That's what I want you to do, you know. And so this is the desire and the will of the Holy Spirit. And would to God that we would do it. Why does he want us to pray for kings and people that are in authority? Or is because you're a priest. You're a priest. You are going directly to the Father to affect the thrones of men on earth. But if we do not do that, then why should we complain about the things that are going on on earth? When we have the ability to go to the throne of God and affect President Biden. Why don't we do that? Why don't we pray like that? Our prayer meetings in Christianity, our prayer meetings in, in, in Western civilization, they ought to be bursting the walls of the church down because of the need for prayer and the problems in our country and suicide among our young people, you know. But, but you can't get people to a prayer meeting. It is so difficult to do. And we just wonder what's going on, what's going on. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, the apostle says, Apostle Paul says, that I will pray in the Spirit and I will pray in my understanding. I will sing in the Spirit and I will sing in my understanding. One of the great privileges that we have in the new covenant is to pray in the Holy Ghost, to pray in our tongues, and also to pray in our understanding. Because when we pray in our tongues, our inner man, according to 1 Corinthians 14, our inner man is being edified. He is receiving light and wisdom from God and being built up. And so this is very important. So I want to say this, as a priest of God, we're going to look at two things We're going to look at our priesthood through prayer and our priesthood through praise. And today we're just going to touch on prayer for just a few moments. Satan attacks the prayer meeting as much as he attacks the baptism in the Holy Spirit and the grace of God. It is under great attack. And the reason that Satan attacks the prayer meeting so much, he'll let you have worship services. He doesn't mind that. He, 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 didn't, he never stopped Saul from going to sit with David's music. He never stopped him from doing that because he knew as soon as David stopped worshiping and Saul left, the demons are still there. But it's prayer meetings. It's the prayer that Satan is after because the prayer affects the thrones of Satan on earth. And Satan knows that. The prayers of God's people affect the streets of Baton Rouge much more, as much as people going out to the streets. If we're not praying while they're going, then we're not necessarily going to see the benefits that God wants us to see. Many don't understand the importance of the gathering for prayer. They see no reason why I have to go to the prayer meeting. Why can't I do it at home? We cannot deny the efficacy of the prayer meeting, though. Throughout the years, throughout history and biblical testimony, we see how important and efficacy the prayer meeting truly is. But today the prayer meeting has suffered a blow that is very, very devastating to the cause of Jesus Christ on earth. And may to God we pick up the baton and we finish this race as the church of Jesus Christ being mighty in the prayers of the Holy Ghost. We're given the privilege to serve the Lord's interest on earth as they are in heaven. And if we don't pray, you have no idea what the interest of God is in heaven. The only way you can know the interest of heaven is if you commune with the God of heaven and he tells you and you hear him. And then you know what God wants to do and you pray. The pattern was set in Acts chapter 2. Verse 42, when people were coming into the church of Jesus Christ after Pentecost, 3,000 people were immediately saved on the day of Pentecost. And the Bible says they continued in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship, breaking of bread and prayers. That was the leadership of the Holy Spirit. That was the pattern set. And, And guys, they met every day. And they gathered together for the doctrine, the preaching of God's word, the fellowship with Christians, the breaking of bread, which is the communion of the Lord's body, and prayers. They prayed. This was something phenomenal that happened in the new covenant that you don't see a pattern of any time before Pentecost. But you see all of this beginning to happen after Pentecost. God gave to the church the keys to heaven. And the power of the Holy Spirit to assist us in praying. He said it. You read it. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And would to God that 
in the prayer meeting, those things would actually be done. The church is called to meet and to demonstrate the new priesthood in Christ and the kingdom of God. The purpose of God in having us pray is, I'll give you eight reasons why we are to pray. Number one, for God's glory. That's John 15. Number two, for our joy. That's John 15. You see, when we pray, then God answers. And when God answers, he's glorified and we have joy. It's wonderful when God answers our prayers. And so that's why we should pray. Third reason we should pray is to affect the will of God on earth. Matthew 18. The fourth reason we pray is to overcome principalities and powers. Ephesians chapter 6. The fifth reason we pray is because we secure boldness for those who are preaching the gospel of Jesus. Ephesians 6. The sixth reason we pray is to overcome our worry and our fears. Philippians 4. The seventh reason we pray is to intercede for our brothers in all of their agonies. That's just the Bible. The eighth reason we pray is for loving intimacy and enjoyment of God's fellowship. John chapter 17. These are just a few reasons why God has called us to pray. I I believe one of the chief reasons Christians are not joyful today is because they don't pray. They, but they just really don't pray. The prayer life is very stale, very boring, very uh, form, format, f- full of formality. Um, I don't know what the word is, but something like that. Prayer and the prayer meeting is a Pentecostal phenomenon. I've told you this before. But the prayer meeting is a Pentecostal phenomenon. Prayer's not, but the prayer meeting is. You see no prayer meetings during the ministry of Jesus. You see no prayer meetings in the Old Testament. There were gatherings if the nation was under attack or if there was a time of God's judgment, then you would see a gathering of the nation where a priest would pray on behalf of the nation. But you see no gatherings for prayer, no prayer meetings until you come to Pentecost and you begin to see something different has happened on the earth. And truly what is different is there is a race of people now on the earth who are born again. And they have now been called and anointed to be priests unto God. And instinctively they know their calling. And that calling is to pray. And they begin to pray. And this is very, very effective. Our prayer as Pentecostal people is intimacy with God. That's the central thing in prayer is intimacy and fellowship with God. As the result of Jesus' redemption. God has always wanted our hearts, not our prayers. He wants our hearts. And when our hearts cry out to God in prayer, then the ear of God is very attentive to what we're saying. Because prayer is so important and prayer is so efficacious and prayer is so powerful to overcome the hindrances of God's kingdom on earth. Then God has given us the very special help of the Holy Spirit. For the Bible says we are to pray in the Holy Spirit. That's how we're supposed to pray. So God has given us the Holy Spirit so that we can have a successful priesthood. That we can pray, praise, worship, stand, subdue, and be joyful in the power of the Holy Spirit. But beloved, you have to understand this by definition has to be corporate 
and not individual. I'm not saying you can't pray individually in your homes and in your prayer closets. That has been a blessing and a privilege extended to men since God created man. But this corporate prayer, this ability to function as one man, demands the corporate gathering of the body of Christ. And it is this that Satan is determined to attack. To bust up the corporate gathering of God's people and to keep it splintered and divided so that it cannot be effective. Because if that body came together as one man, then it would be devastating to what Satan is doing in our city of Baton Rouge. It would be devastating. And I'm going to tell you, our city certainly needs a move of God. And it's not going to come through some evangelistic preaching. It's going to come through the power of the Holy Spirit. We just had a murder last week right down here on Corsi Boulevard. I mean, it is horrific what is going on in our culture. And so I want you to understand that this church, the church is corporate. The church is a man. You are not the church by yourself. That is, that is a faulty definition of the church. To go around and say, I am the church of Jesus Christ. No, you're part of the church of Jesus Christ. You are not the church in and of yourself. You're just part of it. And you, in your place in the body, help make the body one man. The church, by definition, is a people who are called out and called together in order to be a living house for the Holy Spirit to inhabit. And this is why we understand Matthew 18. It's not just if one of you does it, but if two or more gathered, I'm there in the midst of you. So the church is the new man. The church is the thing that has the head, the eye, the ears, the hands, the feet, all coming together, walking together in unity and in purpose. And so I want to say this to you very importantly. A prayer meeting without the gifts of the Holy Spirit is just not a new covenant prayer meeting. It can be prayers, but it's not a new covenant prayer meeting. A new covenant prayer meeting is a prayer meeting in which the gifts of the Holy Spirit are operating to some degree and would to God absolutely freely. If we are not operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the priesthood of Jesus is grossly diminished in that generation. God, don't let it be diminished in ours. People love to boast of the success of a Charles Finney. Charles Finney would, would point to the reason of his success was because of two men who would go into the cities before he would come to preach. And they would bathe the city in prayer 24 hours a day and around the clock. People would love to talk about how wonderful of a preacher Charles Spurgeon was. But if you were to ask Charles Spurgeon the reason for his success, he would take you to the boiler room in the basement of his church where on any given day of the week, literally hundreds of Baptists would be heard praying for the lost to come into the kingdom of God. It's the prayer and the gifts of the Holy Spirit that are going to reveal the kingdom of God on earth. It demands the church. It demands the gifts. When you're absent in the prayer meeting, something is absent. If you really are born again, 
If you really are in the body of Christ and you're absent from the prayer meeting, something is absent. If you watched any of the football games over the holidays, no doubt you would see an injury. And sometimes that injury would be from a player that was extremely valuable to the game. And so the people's hearts would go, oh, no, not him, you know. Maybe his leg had a torn ACL or something. Just one little ligament, one little invisible ligament and a star player's leg gets torn and he's out. What is one little ligament you in the body of Christ Why are you so important? Nobody ever sees me. And nobody ever sees that ACL. But when it's damaged and it doesn't function, the whole body knows it. That's how important the body of Christ is. And Western civilization does not understand that and doesn't care to know it. Because it puts a demand on my life and I just don't want that demand on my life. Just come preach to me. Tell me we're going to heaven when we die and I'll be fine. That's the message I want. And tell me I'm going to be blessed and prosperous and live my best life now. And send me on my way, preacher. But don't put some obligation on my life. Well, you're in the wrong place. (laughs) Because I am passionate for this, for God to affect the kingdom of God. And so the church comes together in prayer and cries out to God that we want your will. And God begins to reveal his will to that church. And as God reveals his will to the church, the church prays it down that the will of God would be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray according to God's will is a great thing. See, God wants to do things and he wants to reveal these things that he wants to do to his church. And so God speaks to his church. Maybe there's eyes that are in the prayer meeting and the eyes say in the prayer meeting, I see something God wants to do. And because you see it, you express it to the prayer meeting and the prayer meeting of believers immediately have a witness in their spirit that I too agree with this. I couldn't see it because I'm not an eye, but the eye tells me they see it. I believe it. Let's believe God to do it on earth. But maybe God wants to say something to us tonight in the prayer meeting and God wants to speak a word to us. But maybe all of the ears are at home and they're sleeping in on Sunday night. And so what God wants to say to us, we don't have an ear there to hear. So we pray to the best of our ability, but the ear of the body's not there. How much better when the ear is there and says, oh, I hear the Lord. I hear the Lord showing me something, and this is what God is showing me. God is showing me a specific way for us to pray for prodigals right now to be reached by the Holy Spirit. And the prayer meeting group agrees with it, believes it, begins to pray in the name of Jesus. And we begin to see prodigals returning to God and coming back home because an ear heard that. And there are feet in that body that are saying, I'll go, and hands that are saying, I'll reach, I'll do it. A whole body acts together, but if the ears are not there, the eyes are not there, the hands are not there, the feet are not there, then the body is crippled. And the priesthood, though it wants to serve, is not able to do effectively what God wants to do in the earth. It is God who builds his body. And it is God who puts us in the body where it pleases him. Without the Holy Spirit praying, Without the Holy Spirit's anointing, then we're just another institution among men. This is different than private prayer. It takes at least two. 
It's the degree of God's working and the Holy Spirit moving. It is so, so very, very important. Most of our prayers are through a prayer list or through prayer requests. And we pray through that list. Very little Holy Spirit praying. Very little of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And one of the reasons is, is maybe because there's very little praying in tongues. And maybe there's little praying in tongues because there's so few that are actually born again. Or filled with the Holy Spirit. Baptized in the Holy Spirit for that matter. But when we're praying in the Holy Spirit and praying in our tongues and seeking the Lord and crying out to God with our hearts and just really taking seriously our role as a priest and we're serving the throne of God and we're serving men and we're acting as a mediator to facilitate and help everything that Jesus Christ is doing and our hearts are going out to God, then the Holy Spirit begins to move and the Holy Spirit begins to show us things and the Holy Spirit begins to speak things. One of the greatest things I experience in my life is in our prayer meetings when we're all up here in this altar and we're all praying and we're all crying out to God because a lot of times when I'm praying, I'm not a talker. I'm very quiet, you know, and so a lot of times when I'm praying, I run out of things to say. I don't know what to pray about anymore and I'll just come to a standstill in my prayer life. But when I'm in this altar praying with you and I hear people crying out to God and praying, oh yeah, I can pray about that. I'm going to pray about that. I'm going to come in agreement with you about that. Hey, can I jump in on your prayer with you, you know? and Because I, I, I just didn't know what to pray for anymore. And, and, and it is so beautiful to see and to be with people praying in the Holy Ghost. And you hear things. People are prophesying when they're praying. People are speaking. God is speaking to them. And my soul is lifted up and elated in that. And, and, and I'm not saying you can't pray anywhere in this building. But I've sat in, I've sat in the balcony in the back. And I, I might have prayed seriously for three or five minutes and then the rest of the time I just kind of looked around and read a little bit and all of that but because I just ran out of things to pray but when I get in this altar with people who are crying out to God I mean the hour goes by like that you know just praying and seeking the Lord so I want you to look at this very quickly I'm going to look at two scriptures and I'm going to close with this in Ephesians chapter 6 Ephesians chapter 6, this is Paul, he's praying, um, he's, he's, he's asking the church, and if you would let me, I, w- I would like to say it's really the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit inspired him to write this. <clears throat> so I, would you just for a moment, just let me say that Ephesians chapter 6, the Holy Spirit says in verse 18, pray always, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints, and for me that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. <clears throat> and so here's, here's the desire of the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> that we're praying always. The house of God is to be known as the house of prayer for all nations. And um, it's the place where people are able to go and touch God and be touched by God. And that's what the temple of God should be. That's what church should be. People, could, people who are looking for Jesus should be able to come in here today and not find religious people here. But they should find priests of God who are going to love them, pray with them, serve them, help them to get to Jesus, speak to them on behalf of Jesus, and help them come from death into life and from bondage into freedom. And that's what the house of God ought to be. That's the house of God I want to be in. I don't want to be in a religious house, but I want to be in that house. And he says, so pray with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. In the Spirit. Capital S. That's in the Holy Spirit. 
And so we're supposed to pray that way. There's perseverance, there's supplication. Last scripture I want to look at, this is very important scripture in 2 Thessalonians. <clears throat> he tells us this in chapter 3. Um, I love how God works because I was searching for this passage of scripture a while back. And for some reason, I was just, I could not think of the word. And I, I was having difficulty finding it. And probably about a week and a half later, Layla texted me a word of encouragement. It was this very scripture. And I'm texting her by saying, oh, Layla, in so many ways, you sent me exactly what I needed. And um, so here in Second Thessalonians chapter 3, the Holy Spirit Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men for all men have not faith. And so when I when I take this, you know, here's the Apostle Paul writes these two letters, but he's inspired of the Holy Spirit to write these letters. I want you to see that in Pentecost, the church gathered together to pray. The church of Jesus Christ gathered together to pray. When it was persecuted, it was praying. When revival was happening, it was praying. When every day God was adding to the church those that should be saved, it was praying every day. As a body, it was praying. And I guess that just becomes too much. You know, you just can't do this church and Jesus stuff every day. That's just not reasonable. And so it, whatever reasons, it just kind of falls away and filters away. And we say, Hey, let's do one day a week. That's enough, you know, maybe two, but you know, that's enough. And, and so things happen in our world. Things happen in our community. Things happen in our government. And we wonder why. When we said, first of all, let men pray with lifted hands for those that are in authority over us so that you can live a quiet and peaceable life. If you pray, I'll hear you. I'll affect your land. I will. And so here in Ephesians, you know, you find Paul asking for prayer. He's asking that he'd have the boldness to pray. The church gathered together in a time of persecution and they literally prayed Peter out of prison. That testimony has been testified of Thousands of times over through the history of the church as God has responded to the prayers of the church and the people. Prayer in 2 Thessalonians 3, 1 through 2, prayer is sought for by the Holy Spirit in order for the gospel to run its course. The gospel is on a track. It started in Jerusalem. And the gospel is running its circuit. It's running a track through the world. And it's going to return back full circle. And the Holy Spirit says pray for that gospel to run its course. Pray that it will. Pray that it can run freely without any hindrance. Could it be different in Iran today if we prayed? Could it be different in North Korea today if we prayed? Could it be different in the Sudan today if we prayed? The world is so much bigger than our capacity to understand it. 
And there are certainly more countries in the world that we're certainly unfamiliar with and do not know how to pray for. But if we were really intimate with God through the Holy Spirit, wouldn't he know what country to put on our heart to pray for? And perhaps if we were more intimate with God in prayer and more filled with the Holy Spirit and more in tune with the gifts of the Holy Spirit, perhaps the Holy Spirit could blow open North Korea. And as he, as he prays here, the preachers of the gospel could be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. And it could run freely all through North Korea. Wouldn't that be beautiful? Is the reason the gospel is hindered in certain places is because the church is not praying? I'm just asking you the question. The Holy Spirit asks us to do it. The Holy Spirit's prayer request is to make us wonder. And often the work of God and his preaching of his word hindered by our prayerlessness. The church is not for the world's pleasure, but God's. And it's not how many people we can get into our buildings, but it's how many people we can get to God. That is of the utmost importance. Ministers don't pray today. They don't. Very few ministers pray today. They love to learn. They will exhaust themselves studying the thoughts of intellectuals. They love leading and organizing, planning and goal setting, setting up and developing leaders. But they do not pray. They say prayers, but they do not pray. In my travels, this has been one of the greatest tragedies that I've witnessed. The multitude of people that do not know what the church is, leadership who cannot lead them, and the lack of agreement in prayer in the altars of God's house has led to the erosion of the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit. Beloved, let us not lose that. There's one thing I desire to do. One thing I could choose, it would be to pray. I'd rather be before God than men any day. But I struggle to pray. But I've never struggled to pray when I was full of the Holy Spirit. It was never a battle. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask that you would be with us today. I pray, God, that you would give us revelation of your truth. I pray that you would give us understanding of your truth. I just want to ask you right now, just because of the time, just as an altar in your heart right now, would you consider your life? You have been made a priest. How are you doing with it? I do not want you to despair. I don't want you to be overwhelmed with discouragement. Because you personally can never rise up to the role of this priest. You can't do it. God doesn't intend you to do it. But what God wants to do is he wants to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will anoint you. He'll do it little by little by little. He will show you the things in life that are really valuable. He will deliver you from wasted time and energy. He will fill your life with purpose. Your prayers with power. You will shake the nations for Jesus. You'll touch the throne of God for men. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you. 
Ask the Holy Spirit to help you understand the body of Christ and what it is that you're a part of. Ask the Holy Spirit to help us stop complaining about our world and praying for it. I love you, beloved. I'm honored to be with you. Let us be a praying people because we believe in a living God. And Jesus said, I'm not going to ask the Father for you. But you're going to ask the Father because he loves you. Wow. Lord, give us the revelation of that love. Bless these people today. Show them their calling. Let them be excited about it. Let them fight for it, God. Every distraction. Let it be their purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, my friends.